This is Jim English, and welcome to my podcast called The Who Gives a Shit Files. And I have the distinct privilege of having on as a special guest one of my oldest and dearest friends, Barry Gale. We've known each other since the late 70s, early 80s. I was in his wedding. He was in my wedding. We played innumerable basketball games together. And Barry, say hello to the audience. Hello, audience, and uh, when Jim introduced, he said, oldest and dearest, that's heavy on the oldest. <laughs> well, he looks great. Doesn't have a gray hair in his body, as opposed to me, who's got gray hair everywhere, ubiquitous gray hair. So we are going to talk about the Laguna Tournament today. And it was an institution in basketball for many, many years at Main Beach in Laguna, and there were some great players that played there. Barry, why don't you just talk about some of the great players that you remember right off the top of your head that played there? Well, I was surrounded by <coughs> good players on my team. We had, uh, uh, in the open division, over 30, we had a gentleman by the name of Doug Rex who was, played at Santa Barbara. He was six foot 10 inches tall. We had Dave Hellman, who uh, played uh, at uh, Cornell. We had Randy uh, Larson, who said he played at Stanford. We don't know about the truth of that, but Randy was a heck of a player, six <laughs> foot five, six foot six player. Um, and that was our team. And I, we also had, uh, I had the privilege of playing uh, on a six foot open team <coughs> that uh, had terrific players that we played with at Live Oak in Manhattan Beach. That area probably was one of the, the hotbeds for Los Angeles suburban basketball communities when you think about it. People came from all over the country. To give you an example, our six-foot uh, team that went down and played Laguna, there was four of us. <coughs> Joe Strait was from New England. Uh, Mr. Uh, Del Franklin was from Los Angeles. Uh, we had uh, Mr. Gilio, who was from New York, uh, who jumped out of the building, who, and myself, who was uh, Philadelphia born and bred. So here we were, it's a three-on-three tournament, and we had four guys, all of which came from different kind of communities. So they were some of the people that I played with. I played in the 6-3 with a guy named Bill Moore, who was uh, all uh, Pac-8 at the time, conference for Oregon State, a phenomenal player who played pro in Europe. Uh, we had uh, Pat Mullen, who was one of the best New Jersey schoolboy players ever to play, and laced him up, and was uh, not only an incredible player, but a very, very popular guy down in uh, <laughs> uh, Manhattan Beach. Uh, and on and on. I mean, as we go through this, I'll think of more, but uh, surrounded by a lot of talent locally. As far as the players who played, we played against, Man, it was a spectrum of tremendous talent. Uh, well, let's give an yeah. overview. Okay, so what they did is they had three-on-three tournaments in Laguna Beach right on the beach. So it was an unbelievable setting. It's right there on the ocean, and it's right there at Coast Highway and Laguna Park Canyon Avenue. Road. Right, yeah. It's right in yeah. central Laguna. Yeah. And it was three-on-three. Three. And what, what divisions did they have? Well, they had the open six foot, six three, and, and open meaning any height. And then they had the same divisions, 
for 30 and over. Right. So you could, there were six different divisions that played, and they, they went for uh, weekends in June, July, and August. And as we have talked about before, the great Ron Lutz, who was the recreation director for the city of Laguna Beach, was the gentleman behind the idea. And he was the one that essentially organized it, got it going year after year. And the, you know, the, some of the players that played there, like in the open division, were established pros. Um, Mark Landsberger, A.C. Green, Sean Rooks, who was a backup center for the Lakers, Michael Cooper, Byron Scott. These are some of the open players that played there. And, you know, you and I didn't play against them. But the legacy, so it was, that's the kind of the way it was all drawn out in terms of stratifying the different divisions. And you, you dominated the over 30 divisions at all three levels. Well, we had um, some of the additional guys to add to the, the uh, prestigious names that you just reeled off. Swen Nader right down there. Uh-huh. Billy Poss, the Whopper, there. Kermit Washington played down right. there. Right, uh, Leon Wood played there. Played, I played against him. Uh, he was unbelievable. A great player. So Leon Wood, for the audience, is currently an NBA referee, and he played on the '84 Olympics with um, with Charles Barkley and a host of others he wanted. Bobby Knight was the coach. And then he played in the pros for a number of years. How was, was, was he pretty tough? I bet he was, right? All-American at Cal State Fullerton, took them to the tournament, which was rare for the Titans of Cal State Fullerton, not exactly a brand name. How was he to play against? Well, I'm still looking for him. Uh, <laughs> he was uh, unbelievably uh, quick and strong. Uh, he was, uh, I was playing in the 6'3 uh, division at the time. They needed a player, and, I, and uh, somebody said, well, come on, uh, play. But um, he had a windshield wiper move down in the low post, and I would try to go to foul him on one side. By the time I tried to reach for him, he had already left. He was, uh, I couldn't even, he was so quick that I, and strong that I couldn't even foul him. So uh, <laughs> he, was, he had his way with me, so to speak. But, but, you were a handful. Barry Gale is about six feet tall. He's quicker than a flashlight. He, and he has got a very unorthodox, he had, he had, a very unorthodox game of fading away jumpers. So your jumpers, I remember guarding you many times, and you're used to somebody going straight up. You know, somebody goes straight up and pulls up and shoots. But you never did that. You went to side to side, right? Well, it was born out of uh, necessity. But uh, thank you for the compliments. I appreciate that. Um, the, it, it, on occasion, when people come up to me and gave me a little bit of room, I would do the Andrew Tony straight up and, and let it fly. But most people, after a while, figured if I would make that shot, then they'd have to get up on me and I would try to go. But... I, my game was really uh, structured and centered around the time that I spent on the Philadelphia Playgrounds. And uh, they played four and four. Uh, it was half court. And there was a rule, uh, mm -hmm. no layups. 
<laughs> so I started out at 13 um, going down there, and they would, I would never get picked. Uh, just, uh, it was only the good players, and it was men, uh, grown men playing. And then I'd go down there year after year, and finally, at the end of the day, when some of the guys got tired and they needed another player, they'd wave me on and, and play. They'd knock me around, knock me down, all this other kind of stuff. Eventually, uh, I got to the point where I could actually be picked and selected. Uh, and there was... Uh, four, so you were 16, four, 17 maybe? No, not even that, Jimmy. I was really? probably maybe eight, uh, 18 at that, that time okay. before I got into the point where I was selected. And... Um, <clears throat> The mindset was that when you you would drive to the hoop, and since there was no referee, um, they would just foul you. So I thought to myself, <clears throat> what am I going to do here? I'm not shooting free throws, and um, therefore I would go as hard as I could, take two, three dribbles, and then launch myself into the air, try to square my body as soldiers, moving sideways as it was, and get the shot off, release the shot. And if you do anything enough, uh, it, it, start, it started dropping. And uh, it became one of those things where it was very difficult to stop because um, the other person had stopped. They, they would stop and jump, and I'd, I'd be floating past them uh, to release the shot. So it, you're absolutely right in describing it as unorthodox uh, because it was, but it was only born out of the frustration of being fouled so many times and knocked <laughs> Right. No, I understand. But I had to do something to get the shot off. And no, I understand. Yeah. And yeah. so when, so Leon, who grew up, so you grew up in the playgrounds yeah. and developed an unconventional game, not on defense, not with passing. You're an excellent passer, but when your shot was very unconventional when you weren't going to the hoop. So how did Leon take it when you started doing those floataways? You may not have been able to, you may be too modest to say this, so I'll say this, but you couldn't stop him, but I'll bet he couldn't stop you. Well, he, he hadn't seen that kind of thing before. Right. I'm sure if he had had time to, to uh, figure it out, he would have, but at least for that particular game back then, mm -hmm. um, a couple of times he looked around and was trying to figure out where I was too. Um, and I was scoring on mm -hmm. it. Uh, eventually, they figured out all they had to really do is, is post him down low, and, and they ended up winning the game. But um, I did get loose a couple times and score on Leon, and, and uh, I, would, I met him later on for our games because uh, he, he started out in recreational leagues in Orange uh -huh. County before he went to the NBA, and I'd always say hello, and he acted like he remembered me, which was always nice. Yeah, I remember him. At, uh, he was he was refereeing. It's funny, you know, because he started his refereeing career after he ended playing basketball in the Newport Beach Leagues. Yeah. Because he came up to you and said, "You're the guy that used to do that weird jump shot in the Newport in the uh, in the Laguna Beach Leagues." And he goes, "Yeah." And you guys shook hands and you know exchanged pleasantries and stuff like that. So who was so that was the six foot and under open division. Well, that one happened to be the six three division that I that I got in. I didn't play that regularly. Um, I, I on occasion I, I played the six three over thirty. I played a tremendous amount of six uh, just open, open division yeah. thirty, uh, and I think 
Uh, that team that I mentioned, gosh, we won at least 10 titles in that. And then I played the six foot open a number of times without being over 30. And then as I got older, we, you know, I played in the, in the 36 foot. So it was just so much fun. And, and again, understanding where I came from um, and you, you send photos back to the guys in, in Philly and they wouldn't believe it. They said, what are you, where are you playing kind of stuff? Because <laughs> we had gritty, uh, we had chain nets and, and other kinds of stuff, and you wouldn't necessarily want to be there in the dark uh, sometimes when where we played. But uh, out here, as you had described, it was absolutely gorgeous. Yes. Right on the ocean, back-to-back uh, -back courts. And um, there was hundreds of folks that would come uh, just to be outside and, and, and be semi-entertained. I mean, it was, a tour, it was a tourist attraction because people would congregate to watch. Also, too, I want to give the audience a sense of this, too. Okay, You're talking about double rims outside, chain nets, the sun, and you're right on the beach. So the wind is a big variable. I mean, sometimes you have the Santa Ana's blowing in, and it was Laguna Canyon Road, so you have it blowing in from inland and whooshing in. And other times you would have it coming from the ocean. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's, it was because I've seen players um, play there that are excellent shooters in a gymnasium. Okay. And they couldn't throw a pee in the ocean there because of the elements. The elements were a big deal. And that was that was a big part of it. Now, I know that a lot of and I, I want to talk. I always like talking about Randy Larson, because God rest his soul. He left us too early. He was my roommate, one of our best friends, a terrific guy, a great great basketball player. So tell us about the open, the the uh, thirty and over opens. Who was on your team and who did you play against? And how effective were you? Well, <clears throat> the components of the team, as I think I had mentioned at the, at the top of our conversation here, was Doug Rex. We always had to have Doug because undoubtedly he was a big man to go along with his six foot ten frame. He was, and he, and he all he wanted to do was rebound and play defense. And as far as Randy and I were concerned, that was heaven because all we wanted to do was shoot. <laughs> you know, Dave was another guy who Dave Hellman, who was really tough. Again, down, uh, I mean, a, a gritty player, understood the game well. Dave was probably six two or thereabouts, but played bigger than he was. Very Thick, strong, played yes, in college. Yeah, loved defense. He would didn't he didn't would Rex play Notre Dame, right? He played at uh, Santa Barbara. That's Santa Barbara, okay, yeah, yeah. Santa Barbara. And um, so for us, the game obviously was pretty simple. You, know, you throw it down to Doug. Doug would throw it back. We'd have we'd be cutting off picks uh, and getting shots. Randy had a shot that uh, was really unstoppable as well because he would come off the pick and he was a good six foot five and strong guy and would elevate and he'd have his right knee in the air. For, so whatever defender he had, he had that knee up in the guy's chest and he would just stick jumper after jumper after jumper. And he, again, all of the elements that you described were there. Most of the time it was the wind coming off the ocean uh, and, it, and it really got in a lot of people's heads.
but since we uh, played outside all the time at Live Oak, and that's where we came from, we were used to a lot of the elements, but that was a special deal. But that particular team with those kind of guys, uh, you, you plug anybody in at the guard position and you're gonna do really well. Um, but we had any number of guys that we played against that uh, we remember well. There was one guy uh, named Big Larry <coughs> who played for the 49ers. Um, and he would take the ball down low and he was probably about 260, uh, maybe maybe 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, and no matter what, he would, he would spin into whoever was guarding him, trying to knock him back and then just lay it in. And that w w what would occasion was is that uh, anybody that was playing against him said, no, no, it's an offensive foul, you can't do that. And obviously the chatter and the uh, the contesting of that, those kind of calls would sometimes trigger uh, what we all feared. And that was Ron Lutz coming down to rough the game. <laughs> Nobody wanted that, but on occasion we're that gonna, happen. We're, we're going to save a, a segment at the end to talk about Ron right, because okay. he was, one of, he's a legend in Orange County and Southern California basketball for a number of reasons. Um, so we're, we'll, we'll talk about him in a minute. So you guys, but you guys dominated that for years, right? For years until I played with you. Yeah. And then when I came down and played with you, we lost. We did. We did dominate, and and as I said, um, it, it was a it was really uh, due in large part to the, a fierce desire to win. Everybody on our team was very very competitive. Not that the guys we weren't playing against weren't as well, and we were very well conditioned. Uh, one of the things that um, I remember. Uh, I can still remember being uh, a young man, was that I never remember getting uh, tired other than one case, which I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about. Um, but since we played up at Live Oak, about anywhere from five to seven times a week, sometimes double duty, Yeah. that we, we never got tired. And unquestionably, part of the skill set necessary was conditioning. And uh, all of our guys were in good shape. A um, lot of skill, a lot of experience, a lot of height we had. I mean, we had you know, Randy and, and, and again, who's there's you know there weren't that many guys that were six ten that were that right. mindset was defense and rebounding. Right. Um, so we were you know we just happened to come at a at a time where we dominated. You know, mm -hmm. we dominated for a number of years. And yeah, and it's also too is I want to underscore. I mentioned this before, and I played there a couple of times. And it, you know, the difference between shooting a 15-footer in a gym and shooting a 15-footer in the wind and in the sun, okay, and bouncing off concrete, you know, versus a gym floor was huge. And since we all in the live oak culture, and by the way, gang, if you haven't listened to my, my podcast on live oak, it's, uh, it's buried in the archive somewhere, the Who Gives a Shit Files. But um, that really helped because not only were you in condition, but you were used to playing outside and jumping off concrete and playing defense on concrete. Different game, Barry. No doubt. And, and one of the things that uh, I knew uh, as uh, a player on that kind of team was that um, I was going to have to take the quickest guy on the other team. 
Um, and there was a lot of really terrific players that I played against. Um, and uh, at the top of the list was a guy named Terrace Young, who was undoubtedly not only a, a, a extraordinarily uh, a a competent player, but the very best general manager uh, that, oh, yeah. that, that Laguna Beach had ever seen. I mean, he just would put together teams, and he would play in, in every division. I mean, he would, he, and he had an incredibly quick release, um, and he knew exactly how to use that wind. That was his home court, by the way. He would go down there and play all the time. Yeah. So there's no question. Yeah, he lived in Orange County. Yeah, yeah. So there's no question that he was down there all the time. I do remember coming off after one of the games that we had, and we had a lot of battles. And one of the players was about to come up, and he said, I've been watching uh, Terry Young play a lot of times. He goes, and i got to say this, I don't ever remember anybody putting it to him like you just did out there uh, in, in that particular game. And, I, and as I said, I, I, uh, I took my defense seriously because I knew anybody that was shooting as often as I did and liked to shoot, uh, <laughs> you have to play defense. <laughs> you don't have to, but you, have, you, know, you have to, you have to in that environment. You know, it's not like five on five. You know, or, you know, where you can get lost. You know, you can, you know, I mean, you're accountable. I mean, you're, 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 you're nose to nose with some guy. And it, you know, as that, like, how, how many games did you have to play to win the tournament? That's a great question. You started early on Saturday. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was that time frame, that late 70s uh, into the 80s, whereby... Um, the whole uh, mindset on entertainment and enjoyment uh, was out, was being outside in Southern California. And this epitomized it for people who were competitive and athletic. Yeah. And so you would uh, essentially go most of the day Saturday. You had to wait, obviously, while teams were getting eliminated. And then the, the best, the teams that remained came back on Sunday. And by Sunday mid-afternoon, you're probably you're playing in the championship. So it went two full days. Two full days, probably four games each day, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know the the end of <laughs> it is critical at the end if you want to win this thing to be in optimum shape. I mean, this isn't a casual sort of thing. It was it was very tough to win. It's like endurance and chemistry. You're right. It's it, it was a combination of uh, an, any number of things, um, but you you put your finger on it. First of all, the people that came down didn't want to be embarrassed. They wanted to put together good teams. They didn't like you had to you had an interest fee that you had to to, uh, uh, to pay, and you, you, a lot of people were traveling, so you didn't want to have two and out. It was a double elimination. You know, if you lost one, you went to the losers bracket. If you if you win, you stayed in the winners bracket. But um, it, so you had a bunch of competitive people that wanted to play, and then you had a good skill set on top of it. But to your point, um, you had to endure. You know, you had to be ready because a lot of times you're playing in multiple um, divisions. <laughs> so you had you had those games going on as well. Gosh, I, I I just vividly remember playing one time in that open division, and then I was also in the six foot, and we had uh, th there was a team that, that came up from Mexico. And there was their guard was a tiny fella. I mean, by that I mean he was probably five, seven at tops. And by the time that that game was done, 
my thighs were screaming in pain <laughs> because all I could, it was all I could do to try to stay in front of him and stay with him. He would change direction. He was unbelievably quick and fast, and he was so small that I had to get down as low as I could. And I remember walking off the court and thinking, man alive, uh, I, I am aching now. Uh, my legs are aching having uh, tried to figure out where he was going to be. So, yeah. so I, I, you know, for, for the audience, uh, um, Terrace Young was, uh, he, he was, he was a legend on the playgrounds here. And he went to Harbor High School with, played with some friends of ours, Scott Holt and, and, and uh, John Casimir, and he's actually featured in a podcast that I mentioned earlier. But also, too, is that he uh, was all, uh, what did they, I can't remember, but Cal State Fullerton was in a league with Santa Barbara and all of the, the schools here. It's now the Big West. He was all league there. And uh, he was one of the best shooters I've ever seen. And I remember, you know, it, I mean, it w it's amazing to me that if he got off a shot, it was going in. So the key was, which you made sure he didn't do, is he couldn't get that shot off. Well, he didn't have, he, as good as he was, and he was an exceptional player, um, he had that good first step, uh, and he certainly could finish. Uh, and he understand the, he understood the game as, as, as well as anybody that played it. He could use picks extraordinarily well, but he didn't have a jump shot per se. He didn't really elevate, get no. to a spot and elevate. So my thought when I was playing him was that I have to keep my one or the other of my arms up at all times right. to make sure that if he was he was looking at something other than uh, blank space. Yeah, he yeah. his release was boom, lightning quick. Lightning quick. Yeah. It reminded me of Del Curry, the father of Steph and Seth Curry. Yes, yes. So, I mean, the same thing is he would come off a pick, and he was in a shooting motion before he got the ball. Yes, so yes. you had to get it up there. Another name that comes to, my mo comes to mind was, did you ever play with, I know you did, so this is a loaded question, Terrence Carney? Well, yeah, Terrence was uh, another guy that played with Terrence Young. Uh, on any number of occasions. I didn't get matched up with him on my side until maybe one or two later uh, tournaments when things were starting to break apart. People had families and, and get, they would have kids and this other kind of stuff and wouldn't come, or couldn't come down or wouldn't come down. But he was uh, another incredibly uh, smart, effective, uh, terrific player. Very strong. Very strong. Real and six feet, six yeah. one yeah. at the most. Yeah. He wasn't, yeah. you know, yeah. not a big guy at all. No, but you couldn't, it was really hard to get close to him because of his uh, upper body strength. Uh, and he, again, he's really cagey. You could always tell the guys that had uh, formal coaching, uh, the Dave Walls of the world, yes. for example, that you yes. would play against that would take just a, a half a step advantage on you and use it to their benefit. Uh, me, I, I, don't, I never made a, a, a basketball team in my life. I never really had a coach. It just whatever I picked up and uh, was on my own from playing against people. But guys that were really had good coaching and seasoned, and there was a lot of them that played in this Laguna Beach tournament, yes. you could see it. And, and man, they, they had an advantage. Well, really he, he, he led, so it, it just dawned on me the name of the, the league, the, the Cal State Fullerton League and all of it. 
and UCI. It was called the PCAA, Pacific Coast Athletic Association. And Terrence Carney played a Pacific. And he led that league in scoring. You know, I mean, you lead a league in scoring on Division One, and you're six feet, six one at the highest. You're a damn good player. Okay. And, and by the way, the fact that you were cut from your high school team, right? Yep. You and Michael Jordan, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it must be awfully gratifying the to come in. The only thing we have in common, I'm sorry. <laughs> you have more money than he does. So, uh, but that has to be very gratifying to you to compete at that level with all league players, not in high school, but in college, after getting cut from your high school team, that must be very gratifying to look on back on that with fond memories and a sense of accomplishments. What are your thoughts about what you've accomplished there? Well, and I know you're a modest guy, but you know. But well, thank you. I'll I'll, I'll try to be as uh, transparent as I can about please. it. Please. I don't. I didn't. When I was playing, I never thought about who I was playing against and their reputation or where they were coming from, unless it was an obvious situation. We all knew who Leon Wood was and, and Billy Pauls and Kermit Washington and those guys. But uh, you get against guys that you didn't know, that maybe didn't have a reputation that were, uh, in many cases, every bit as good. There were, I mean, tremendous amount of great basketball players. Tom Finks? Uh, Tom Finks, yes. He was, I mean, my goodness, what a player he was. Oh, my God. Terrific, terrific player. Um, but to answer your question is that uh, looking back, uh, it's, it's satisfying to know that, you could, that I could get out there and compete with those guys. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I realized that um, I had uh, some basic skill set. Um, as you say, there's no, no question that I was quick. Um, I I, uh, I had first step. I would pass people a lot. I could go left or right. Um, I did have a lot of stamina, so but I never I never really stopped running. Um, and I was very quick off my feet. Um, and at, at quick hands. Height, I could yeah I had quick hands and I could I mean I could take a one step and jump up and, and grab the rim and hold onto the rim uh, in my prime. So I had decent uh, elevation as well. Um, and the thing that set people apart a lot of times when you got to that was that desire to compete and not want to lose and uh, that's that's really what drove me I didn't like the idea of walking off the court losing um, so uh, when I look back and realize that as you say you played against a really a lot of good players a lot of fine players I know they were doing exactly the same thing and that's what it made so great and, and, and such such an enjoyable time for me. I look back on it with tremendous fondness. I, I, it was the best. It was really the best time of my life uh, in many ways. Being young and having all the physical capability and a minimal amount of responsibility at the time, um, and uh, knowing that uh, California was truly the golden state then. I mean, it was a wonderful place to be with people who love being outside and, and being physical and doing the kind of things that uh, people enjoy. So I, I, I loved it and I enjoyed it and uh, I love the people I played with. You know, and, and, and you were part and parcel and a representative, maybe the main representative of Live Oak in those tournaments. 
because you played in so many divisions, okay? Because I remember going down there, and Live Oak won the 30 and over open. They won the six threes. They won the six three, 30 and over, and the six foot and under. I mean, you know, with the exception of the open tournament, which, you know, Byron Scott and Lionsberger and AC Green and, and Sean Rooks and, you know, all these pros, Billy Paltz, you know, with the exception of that, the Live Oak folks, which is a court that Barry and I used to play in in Manhattan Beach, uh, you know, dominated all these others. I mean, that must have felt really good being part of the culture and being part of the of the Live Oak legacy that did so well there. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it was. It, it, we look forward to it. Uh, so much because we again we played year round there. There was the, the, the joy of being in California was you didn't have to move our games inside during the winter like uh, as we did back east when we played. Um, and as the summer approached, uh, we would always try to put together teams in the, in relative div, uh, divisions. And uh, w while uh, I, I was not going to be as you say anywhere near uh, good enough to play in that open open. Um, a lot of people would say, well, look, I need a guard in the 6-3, or I, obviously the 6-foot was fine with me, and the, and the 30 open uh, was also a, a good place for me to be as well. And we had a contingent. We would, a lot of times, we would carpool down, you know, because we had a number of teams going down, and we always supported each other. Um, I just remember some of the names, you know, Andy Limbach and, uh, you know, Clyde the Glide and, and any number of other folks. But, uh, you talked before about quick release, Joe Strait. Oh yeah, lightning Joe. Quick yeah, I mean he was he was a wonderful player, and uh, I just remember the first time that Vinny Giglio, who was a New Yorker, one of the nicest, sweetest guys you'd ever want to meet. He and wasn't Italian, was he? Yes, he was, <laughs> and, and he could jump out of the building and was a <laughs> tremendous player at Live Oak. And he was probably about six foot, maybe half inch or so, maybe even three quarter. I don't know how, but. On the way down, I was I was trying to get into his mindset because we had Del Franklin, who was from uh, obviously an LA player and really a good accomplished player and really gritty. Joe Strait, the aforementioned Joe Strait, who was from uh, uh, Rhode Island and, and the New England area, and and I knew I said, Vinny, they're going to try to cheat you down there. Guys are going to try to take advantage of you, and you can't let that happen. You're representing Live Oak. You know, this is, this is important to all of us. And by the time I had, we got down there, I, I had him just, <laughs> just so... Chewing sick, nails, yeah, huh? <laughs> that, that he was a demon. Like uh -huh. The first game, he had about 18 rebounds, and, and it just went from there. He's blocking shots and grabbing rebounds, and he was a, he was a force to be reckoned with. How great is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, before we go to the legend, and I want to, I want to do a deep dive into Ron Lutz because he's a character... Is there anything, any memory, any player, anybody you would like to talk about that, you know, associated with these things? Um, any player that comes to mind? Anything else before we move on to Mr. Lutz? Well, we talked, again, the psychological aspect of, of playing was always something. I remember after the tournaments would end on Sunday, uh, whether 
win or loss. And, and uh, I was, again, fortunate enough to be part of many teams that were really good and, and we won a lot. I just remember getting driving back up Laguna, Laguna Canyon Road, jumping on the five freeway, and heading back up to Manhattan Beach. Absolutely sunburnt, exhausted, but in just a phenomenal state of mind. Oh, euphoria. Yeah, yeah just that you, that you know you had your a T-shirt and some phony uh, trophy, and and you really didn't care about. But the a weekend of the competition and the sun. And by the way, in between games, you can go out and jump in the ocean and, and cool off. Uh, that didn't happen in Philly. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll bet the girls were better looking on the beach, too. Yeah, there, there, were, there were some uh, very, very attractive young ladies down there, as I remember. But uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, I look back on it as, as one of the best times. And as I said, I, as, I, as I was driving back many times alone in, in a car, uh, to Manhattan Beach, I was thinking, man, was that fun. That was just a tr tremendous time. <laughs> so this is, this tournament was was ran by Ron Luce, and he is a legend for a number of reasons, and he ran the tournament, and I'm going to tell two real quick anecdotes, okay? Is he used to, he used to, the first time I was ever on a court with him, Jim Curry, Jimmy C., who's I've mentioned on podcasts before, was standing about five feet from the top of the key. And Ron Lutz is on his team, and he dribbles the ball up and dribbles right by Jimmy C. and does a hook shot from, from the three-point line. But there wasn't any three-point line at the time. And, and he it barely, it like rimmed in and rimmed out. And I went, holy shit. Holy mackerel, I can't believe he did that. And he walked up to Jimmy C and he goes, I'm sorry, that was such a good pick. I should have hit that hook shot. I mean, it was, it was so far out. And then another time, so he used to coach in the Newport Beach Leagues, right? So I remember coming to a game, and I used to argue with him. He was not a real great referee. He was, you know, we... See, we can tell some referee stories in a minute. But I had no idea he was putting an AK-47 in his trunk. And he had just been practice shooting with an AK-47 at the police range before the game. So needless to say, when he made a bad call on me that game, I didn't argue with him. <laughs> it was smart. Well, he was uh, an enigmatic uh, figure. I, I, if uh, memory serves, uh, I don't think that he was a married man with children. I think that his focus really was on basketball uh, and however he could access the game itself. He right. had such a deep love affair with the game, right. he would do that. You know, we mentioned that he was the recreational director of uh, Laguna Beach, but also uh, I, I would suspect that uh, you would see him in any number of leagues that you would play, and all of a sudden he'd show up. He'd have he'd be a, a zebra, you know, with a whistle. He'd be out there. And to your point, he wasn't the world's greatest referee, and he did have a bit of a, 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 a hair trigger if you Ooh, would argue his call. He was uh, very dominating that way. Um, but uh, I look back and, I, and trying to tie it to the Laguna things. 
um, was that there were always people, since it was measurement, six foot, six, three, open, whatever, there was a place that he had marked on the goalpost uh, where it was six foot and six, three, and people would come up before the game started and they would argue, and he'd say, all right, get your sneakers off, stand up against the wall. <laughs> and then he'd be up there, and he he was the he was the sole determinant right. on whether or not you right. would fit in or right. not. You know? Right. And obviously, that uh, there was no arguing after that. He 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 laid down the law on that. Um, the other thing that he was noted for, and as I had reflected on earlier, was that that on occasion, the games would get so physical and so competitive, and people would yell that he would blow his whistle and stop and say. I'm coming down. And he put the whistle around his neck, tried, got down from the platform, and started calling the game. And universally, people were upset about the <laughs> fact that he would, he would do it because they always said you couldn't get away with all the kind of stuff that you wanted to get. Right. And they would take twice as long. Uh, but he, he really was a special guy in that sense. Uh, I'm, hopefully he's still with us. But uh, uh, when you look back and you think about the effort and the energy uh, to get these things going and to make sure that they comply with whatever the local ordinances was about no alcohol and 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 him doing that a large part of it was on his own uh, it was a tremendous thing for him to do and I look back on him uh, obviously as I said eccentric but really uh, a wonderful guy and a lovable guy that uh, I don't know anybody that loved basketball more than Ron. I would agree you know I can't think of anybody plus the fact I mean Think about what he accomplished. I mean, that thing, that thing ran in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, I believe. And, I mean, how can he get Byron Scott and Michael Cooper, you know, Sean Rooks, Billy Paul, all these professional players? I mean, people got hurt out there. This is concrete. And these are high-valued athletes, but they still came to play. I mean, these were... And it was all, he was the driving force behind this tournament that lasted for decades. Yeah, I don't know, to tell you the truth, I don't know when they started and I don't know when they ended it. You probably have more and better information about it than I do, Jimmy. But I do know that um, when you had a situation, I think, when the conditions were, in my opinion anyway, as ideal as they could possibly be for outside competition. Laguna Beach uh, is internationally famous. It's a place where, as you, if you went down to that beach, you would hear seven, eight different languages. Uh, and people came from all over the globe to be there. So if you talk to those guys and said, hey, I got a tournament, um, I got, you know, he probably uh, exaggerated a little bit to get people there, you know, the first uh, name brand guys there, and they're playing down, it's three on three. Uh, afterwards, uh, one of the things that I didn't mention uh, yet was that on that, especially on the Saturdays, we would go right to the, to the local watering holes in Laguna Beach, of which there were any number of them. You bet. And, and we would just you know, sit outside in the sun and talk about the games and have a great time. That was part and parcel of playing basketball, as we know, from, not only from Laguna Beach, obviously from Manhattan Beach as well, which we did it. But in Laguna, it was, there was new places to do it. And I think that uh, Ron was persuasive enough uh, and had a good enough idea and had an ideal setting. And they had spectators that appreciated the, the, the quality of the play uh, and the competition to make it all work. I think that that's, that was kind of his key. Yeah, and you know, and this thing, 
This was a big deal in the Southern California basketball culture. I mean, nobody got paid a dime for this. I mean, you got a lot of pros. And, you know, we just mentioned the pros. There was, I remember when I played there a couple of times, there were pros from Europe that came, that played. You know, there were German players. There was, you know, there was a lot of ex-football players that were playing there. I mean, this was a big deal, and it was one of the big attractions in, in Laguna Beach. I mean, it was great. Yeah, well, we knew people drove up from the San Diego area. We know people came down from L.A. Um, I think I had, uh, I don't know if I mentioned uh, before, but uh, Wayne Stout from the Utah Stars, who played right. the Utah Stars, I played with him and Randy and Dave in, in one of the open tournaments when Doug Rex couldn't make it right. one time. We, we plugged him in. Drew Rogers used to play. Right. He played at Missouri. No doubt, no doubt. Um, Talk about Superman. He was built like Superman. Oh, my remember? gosh. Yeah, yeah. I remember Howie Long calling him big guy. Yeah. Yeah, live Exactly. Like, whoa. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I think that it was, to your point, uh, it, by word of mouth, it grew, and it grew, and it, and it, and it was a phenomena of sorts uh, for all the reasons that we've mentioned. People came from all over to play. Yeah. Well, is there anything in summation? You've been on my podcast before, so... You know, you know that my guests get the last word. Is there anything you'd like to say about the tournaments, about your memories, about anybody else? Once again, we miss you, Randy Larson. Anything else you'd like to say? Yeah, I would just, uh, I, the only thing that I could add that has not uh, been said in a sense is that uh, I wanted to thank you for inviting me into your home uh, to uh, bring back these memories for me because uh, as I had mentioned earlier, it was just a, a wonderful time of life and so many brilliant, colorful characters uh, that played the game that we love. Uh, and it was never more exhibited uh, than down in Laguna Beach, California, during those great summers of the 70s and 80s when I played. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be on with you, Mr. English. Well, thank you, Barry Gale. And thank you all for listening. And I can't wait till we get Barry on our next podcast. Thank you.